You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast, a special episode with four people, myself and three members of the Shanghai Watch Gang, and they represent right now three different cities, Vancouver, Canada, Shanghai, and Hong Kong. Welcome Daniel, Jacqueline, and Lung Lung. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We're going to have to figure out some type of system where we don't all speak at the same time. So I will just ask a question and um, you might want to rotate through responses or something like that because you probably have so many great things to say and it'd be a shame to have you all fight for fight for response time. So, um, well, Ladies first. There we go. The, po- <laughs> the polite gentleman. So two guys and two women here. The show is going to be about what our respective experiences has been like as watch collectors throughout 2020 and what we hope is most of the pandemic. Um, we are in cities that are hubs for watch appreciation around the world. There's about 15 or so cities, maybe 20, that are like where watch collecting and enthusiasm and sales is, is mostly focused. And these these four cities are, are definitely among them. I'm, of course, in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And so just sort of as a, as a basic thing, a basic question, has everyone actually stuck with their, their watch hobby during 2020? Jacqueline, you want to start? Oh, for me? Go first. Yeah, I think that's the best way. I'll just sort of, I'll just yell out a name. <laughs> sure, sure. I can start and then Lung can go after me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I have. I think um, the online community um, have been, um, so, so far, the online community has been very helpful uh, for for me. Obviously, I am the least experienced here. Um, Daniel and Long Long have been collecting for um, many years, more than I have. Um, but uh, I have learned from a lot of my peers. And even though right now I'm in Vancouver and there isn't a, I would say, very vibrant watch community, but um, I went to school in Boston and uh, I... So when I was over there in the beginning of the year, I was able to um, meet up with some some collectors at a local um, dealer's shop and then visit some boutiques. Unfortunately, it's not the same in Vancouver because we don't have many ADs here. But listen, the the other day I just visited a um, a paddock AD, and um, the manager of the shop was very kind enough. We had a very good conversation, and she was very kind to give me some um, Patek Philippe books. Um, as a way to like kind of encourage our um, uh, like to do more research about the brand and build a relationship. So I'd say I'm just laughing because everyone's experience today with information is online. So to give you a book is sort of like, you know, giving like a, a child in high school today, like a book to read, like the kids like, hey, this would have been great 30 years ago. Thanks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you see, I'm I'm very nerdy that way. I'm very geeky. I like books and on the side, like when I saw them, um, they looked pretty expensive. So I was like, they okay, are. I'll they take it. They put a lot of money in those things, a lot. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I'll, I'll take it. So yeah, um, I've been lucky enough to, to stuck with it. Okay, so you've been able to use sort of online community. Um, Lung Lung, you're in Singapore, which is a place where 
watch gatherings were happening like every single day and now everything stopped, have you still been able to pursue, uh, you know, watches as a hobby in Singapore? Well, the first half of the year, I was still in Hong Kong. And I think despite COVID and everything, we still had the gatherings, but they were just a lot smaller. Um, I think the biggest thing that's changed for me, though, is that instead of relying on meeting collectors for information, a lot of it has shifted to doing my own research online and connecting with people like, I don't know, through Instagram, reading more forums and everything. With mm-hmm. Singapore, I kind of just got here about two weeks ago. So I'm starting to see whether it's really affected the people here. Um, but everything looks fine. I mean, when I walk past the ADs and everything, there's always people it's, inside now. So I, I don't know. So shopping is going on right now in Full Singapore. Blown, like the lines for every single store. There's a line in every, for every store, not just watches. It's insane. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Daniel, what about you in Shanghai, able to continue pursuing watches as a hobby in 2020? Well, my story is a bit like Long Long's because uh, my first half of the year was in Hong Kong because I was uh, kind of stuck there for the because uh, mm-hmm. of COVID because I was down there for Chinese New Year and then it turned into half a year. So I was basically doing the same stuff with Long Long and just still going into the watch stores, meeting collectors. Um and then when I came back to Shanghai, I mean, Shanghai is just as normal. So we're still like mm-hmm. doing everything as normal we were pre-COVID. Um, so I think it's been a good year actually for me. You okay. Because I've, I've engaged, because when you're in COVID and lockdown, it suddenly had all this time at the beginning because you think it's an extended holiday. And so <laughs> you, uh, you start engaging more Finally time to focus people. on my passions. <laughs> yeah, it basically did focus like focus stuff. And if we're talking about, I think Jacqueline mentioned it, where we get um, our information. Actually, I think I read more books, more mm-hmm. watch books, rather than relying online. And maybe there was like just a saturation of content online, which isn't always the best quality. With a book, as you say, they invest so much time and money into them. You kind of get a maybe uh, a more of an assurance that you're going to read something actually worthwhile. Okay, I, w- I want to mention something really important here. And I think you brought up something which is crucial, but I want to sort of become a little bit more precise and terminal. You say online. Mm. I mean, there is good information about watches online. I think what you're referring to is social conversations, meaning getting information by observing what other collectors are talking about, as opposed to more professional sources of information. Is that, is that what you mean? No, it isn't. Okay. Because like, when I say online, I do encompass both sides of whether it's article writing um, or semi-professional article writing. Um, the speed that a lot of editors have to write now and, and produce mm-hmm. the content doesn't mean that the quality and the research is always there. So, I mean, online in terms of like when you talk Instagram and Facebook and WhatsApp, yeah, that's very fast media. And you do take a lot of that with a pinch of salt. It's more like entertainment, I have to say. Uh-huh. But when you want to learn something, it's taking too long to look for a great article to read on whatever you want to read. And I'd rather get a book on the topic I actually want to read. Okay, so I, but I think we're not, we're not saying different things. I'm saying that information from experts, doesn't matter where it's published, but about a topic that is written by experts is a very different type of information than something between, you know, hobbyist writers and just lay consumers. Like there's, it's, it's, I, it's very I, different types of information. 
Yeah, mm. it definitely, I agree. I mean, when the, someone spe- like spends time writing an article, they spend more time on it. But, you know, an article also has a finite length to it, you know, because of people just aren't going to read like a whole book on an article, right? right. Online. Mm. Right. So when you really want to go in depth, and sometimes when you read a book on watches, you might read the whole book and you only might pick up like maybe five, maximum 10 new things that you didn't know before. Right. But those things will be gold. Yeah. Right. Mm. And yeah. it would have taken you a lot longer to find out online. I look, I agree. The amount of information that is super crucial to appreciating watches, which is like literally hidden in plain view in the in books, is enormous. The brands themselves, through their marketing activity, educate you in, in almost no amount. And a media like a blog to watch, it, there simply isn't room in the business model to make all these wonderful educational mm. stuff. Like we'd love to do it. We have done it in the past, but it's enormously time consuming and there's zero money in it right now um, in terms of the traditional model. There probably is money in getting people to, to buy it that want it, but we're just not sort of there yet. You know, I remember a couple of years ago when the watch industry got really excited about e-books and e-magazines. They thought people were going to be like swiping on their iPads. Remember this sort of like failed thing? It was kind of like a fancy PDF, mm. like a like mm. an e-magazine. And the watch industry was like so excited about it and they invested an enormous amount. And and like literally they didn't catch on. Like nobody cared. And they were they were mm. lovely. They really were lovely, but nobody, nobody, nobody cared. And so the industry to educate people on watchmaking and watchmaking history is so, so minuscule. And even for people like me, it's extraordinarily hard to get information. And the amount of stuff which has ever been translated into English from French is actually quite small. So if you Mm. really want to like learn, you got to basically go to these horology libraries in Europe, like in Switzerland and and no fluent French. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's a tall order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm certainly not bashing like media publications or online bloggers but i'm just and i also i'm very fully aware that i represent a very niche group within a niche already watch collector group Mm. i'm just saying like in my journey right now and uh, i probably maybe not for jacqueline but probably for long long is we we have met a lot of collectors we have seen a lot of pieces we we have engaged over many years with collectors so the stories do get kind of um just regurgitated and you want something new every time you want to learn something right yeah and it's just that the sources are becoming more finite and more refined so so that's just really my personal journey I, i'm i'm wholly sure that listeners out there's many listeners out there in the audience that yeah fine i mean read that stuff there's so much information out there and a great way to get into watches so so yeah so okay so daniel's advice is go read some watch books that's that's good advice um I've learned a lot myself about the industry. Um, Lung Lung, what about you? Have you found yourself doing more research, learning about it? Um, or has it been more sort of a social and sort of entertainment pursuit in 2020 for you? I want to say that um, my answer is somewhat similar to Dan's, right? That you can read everything, absorb as much as you can. I'm not saying... I mean, even on um, even when you're talking about websites that just churn out um, articles, I'm not saying they're not useful, but nothing beats like when you meet a really seasoned collector and he tells you something mm. about a watch that you didn't even like, like it's just like background stuff or, or uh, secret stuff or like this is a piece unique. How, how did this come about? Mm. I just think nothing beats that. So for me right. now, I'm constantly looking for someone 
that has a piece that I have never seen before. I probably yeah. will never get to touch it. And it's not just a piece that circulates in auction. So I can say, how did you get that piece unique? Um, mm. What is the negotiation like? How long do you have to wait for it? That's the kind of stuff that really um, makes me go, whoa, I would yeah. have never guessed. Yeah. You bring up such an interesting point about the um, the revolving door of the auction world. <laughs> These watches that are like, <laughs> yeah, like they've been around up. the block. Yeah. Like everyone's had the, had it on their wrist. It's yeah, it, it's it doesn't really add a lot of, to the sex appeal, right? Like something yeah. about the rare watch that isn't circulating and doesn't have this interest is makes them more appealing. Yes, um, definitely. But it's been really hard to discover these because like you said, you have to meet people. Like Instagram mm-hmm. just shows you the same six brands over and over again. Like I, like <laughs> people tell me all the time, they're like, I don't learn about new watches mm-hmm. on Instagram. And you have to live in the world. You have to see things on people's wrists and stuff like that. Um, it sounds like those of you who have spent some time this year in Hong Kong were able to see some stuff. I, outside of the first few months of 2020, starting in like, you know, mid-March, I mean, the social world for me of watches completely came to an abrupt halt in LA. Mm. But the irony is that for most of the pandemic, watch stores have remained open or legally were allowed to remain open. So I don't know a lot of people are going in, but watch stores have been open and are open now in LA, limited to some capacity. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what, what they tell me and what I've been learning that I think has been very interesting is that demand for watches as retail therapy has really held strong in 2020, I was under the belief that the watch market was just simply going to tank completely this year, that nobody was going to be buying watches, collectors were going to like it, but put their hobbies on like hibernation, right? Like this is all going on hold till I have some disposable income again. Like that was Mm -hmm. a legitimate thing to worry about. But what's happened is a lot of people bored who already had a lot of disposable income we're buying watches just as, I don't know, like you said, just like retail therapy, you know, just mm-hmm. dress shopping or just, just to make themselves feel better. That was happening a lot. People were spending less on average. But have you also noticed that buying activity did by no means stop? Jacqueline? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it's don't not- don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know um, if you're going to lie here. <laughs> she can so, what, is she, what is she going to lie about? She, well, we'll she's, a, she's a prime example of um, that shopping hasn't stopped this year. Oh, <laughs> oh you're being bashful right now. <laughs> yeah, she is uh, trying to figure out what to say. Yeah. You, you don't have to like divulge your spending. I'm just saying, did you, you bought watches and do you know other people that bought watches? Yeah. I mean... Um, the, the simple answer is, yeah, it didn't stop. Um, but also I bought pretty much all my watches this year because I started last year around this time. Okay. So, um, this year was kind of like my first step into, into the community. And, um, like Long was saying, um, I think it's super helpful when you have the, the chance to meet with seasoned collectors and see these really cool pieces in their collection. But for me, um, all the information that I was able to really uh, receive um, came from either, you know, YouTube videos, uh, watch blogs, or articles or Instagram. I never really um, had the chance to, to meet people and therefore I didn't have the chance to see pieces. But I guess it didn't scare me in a way to 
say, oh, I'm interested in this watch. I um, haven't seen it yet. Am I scared to buy it without seeing it? Um, no, because I try my best to ask a lot of people and do my due diligence before I make purchases. And oftentimes, if I'm lucky, I'm usually happy with the purchase. So um, yeah, I think even given the special circumstances of this year, um, it's been a great learning experience for me in terms of um, knowledge-wise and also um, purchase-wise. Okay, so you don't, but you yeah. don't have a lot of years to compare it to. So I can't say to you, like, did you buy more or less? Did you find it easier process? Did you like mm. prices? Because you just don't have a lot to compare it to. But no. Daniel, Daniel does. What about you, Daniel? Um, well, I only added one watch to my collection. Okay. But that's because it's kind of irrelevant now. Like all the watches that come out, um, whether they're new, yeah, whether they're new watches, I already know what I want. Mm. So I'm very focused. Like just because this watch really looks like beautiful and everything, I already made my decision a year ago that this is the watch I want to get. And until I get this one, then I'm not really going to think about other watches. Mm. So you but have in terms one of something... watch at a time that you focus on and then you don't... You don't no, actually I've got three, probably three watches that three. I want to get. Okay, so, and that's it. Well, right now, yeah. And oh. after I get those, then I'll think about what else should I be getting. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wouldn't like think, like, I want this watch. And then while I'm in the process of trying to get this watch, because I see another watch, I change my mind and focus and go on a different watch. How was that, retail that's, yeah. in Shanghai, though? Well, like, so far in Shanghai, I just think everything's normal. If you go to, like, the big shopping malls, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there. Okay. And it's the same thing as... Um, what Long Long was saying, I think Shang, uh, China was e-commerce ready, you know, to have this kind of uh, reaction to COVID, you know, very well prepared. Right. Um, mm. I think that if you talk about collectors, I think many collectors are <laughs> actually introverts. So a lot mm. of the research, a lot of the things they do would be would have been by themselves anyway. How much, how much of the actual part of the buying process is actually just going into the store and actually buying it and collecting very it. Very little, very little. Very little, right? So just because that part didn't exist didn't mean you couldn't do everything else. So when you do get a watch, all you're looking for, okay, do I have enough confidence and trust in wherever I'm getting the watch from that that guy's going to deliver the watch? It's yeah, a lot smaller step than, than people might think. So you're basically saying that most of the watch collecting hobby was already online, including the decision to, to, to make a purchase very few parts of it actually required real world stuff. And there's still enough of that, despite the lack of social opportunities, that this hobby could very easily, like it, it was very easy to predict this hobby could thrive um, during sort of this, this this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think most of us, I think, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm just speaking for myself, um, would do a lot of research, whether it's on YouTube, the, all the articles, books, speak to, you can speak to other collectors on WhatsApp or WeChat. Um, you can ask them to send the photos of the pieces. Mm. You can actually ask mm-hmm. them directly on the phone. Uh, what is the piece like? Um, and then you, it's just a matter of sourcing the piece, really. But all that information and you're des- deciding whether to buy a watch can all be done online. I don't think, really, are we still back in that day where I need to go to an AD and ask that guy's opinion? I, I haven't done that for a long time, but mm. mainly because I know more than him. I'm sorry, but it's true. Well, you know? okay, so here's an interesting point. I think that when people ask that question, they're assuming not that it's difficult to purchase or that it'd be impossible to find information. I think the assumption is that demand would tank, right? Because 
I've identified the fact that without travel, reasons to celebrate and <laughs> investor confidence, it's very hard to create demand to mm. sell watches. Those are like three prerequisites. Like being able to socialize and travel, like super important. Having like anniversaries and promotions to celebrate, like really, really important. And so I think it's interesting that for you, when you answered like, of course, it's obvious that there's reasons to buy. Like there's never a question that demand was a problem. The question was whether or not this lifestyle facilitated watch purchases or not. And I think that's very interesting that sort of like in America, it would be like, do people even want to get it? And for you, it's can people get it? You think that's an interesting contrast? Can you just say that again? Basically, in America, the presumption would be that during a pandemic, demand would drop, meaning people would not yep. want to buy watches. Not that yep. it would be hard to buy them, but you're, what you're saying is the mechanics of getting into watches, the mechanics of learning a watch, the mechanics of buying a watch, like all of that has more or less remained and not changed. Why would the pandemic have a big effect? For you, that demand would shift like never even comes into mind. Yeah, kind of, because like if we say demand is tanked, okay, what's the motivating factor to cause that demand to go down? You know, like, oh, because we can't go into a store, because we can't flex the watch. We flex on Instagram. I mean, that's what people do now. They flex through private photos to other people to say, I have this and maybe you don't have it, or, you know, I've just got this new piece. So the ability to flex has always been there, especially like if you have a group of collectors, you're constantly in contact with them. So I don't think that kind of need has particularly gone down. Um, in terms of information gathering, all the tools that are required are there. Mm -hmm. Even if I was to read a book offline, I can still buy it off Amazon, mm -hmm. right? And I still mm -hmm. like get it delivered to my home and still read it in my own comfort. So I think maybe everybody, because of the pandemic, actually had time to actually do more research and get into stuff. And, and maybe that might have made sure that the watch sales didn't tank. So but, interesting. Yeah. So there's even an opportunity for more purchases because of the extra time made available through the pandemic. Well, mm. Yeah, extra time available. You can do more research. You can definitely read more. If we go on Instagram, Instagram, we all look at stuff on Instagram, the stuff we don't have, right? Mm. If we have it, it's not very interesting. So <laughs> it's true, right? We all look at that hot, yeah. those hot chicks. We look at the cars. We look at all that stuff. And that just stuff just makes you want it, right? Mm -hmm. So, so why that wouldn't have changed? Yeah. No, you're, you, what you're saying is is true, and I think it sort of points to the 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 resiliency. But what I think it also points to is that right now the predominant consumer of watches are watch enthusiasts. The layperson that is just sort of going to a shopping mall and and buying a wristwatch uh, as a gift for some celebration, they're not. They do buy it to show off. So that consumer probably has gone away in a big way. And the watch industry should recognize that it's watch enthusiasts, for, for once again, that are responsible for its good fortunes. Do you think this means that 2021 and 2022 will see a new marketing focus on watch enthusiasts? Or are we doomed to be not as respected as, as, as we sort of have been in the past when they thought it was still mainstream consumers buying all the watches? Can I just say something that really surprised me just from general observation, which I only picked up like this month, right? Please. Is that um, when you see the figures, say Rolex, right? And you're expecting the um, numbers to go down sales-wise, but then they're still really strong. 
What I've seen is that, okay, one, there's a lack of supply, right, for these watches. So whatever stock comes out, even if the general um, watch enthusiasts, like you said, people who just stroll around shopping centers and stuff, even if they don't buy, the people who are um, so-called like recession-proof, they're going to go in and buy up everything first. So I, so I do know a lot of people that have the same sub and they just buy all of it and leave it at home. So, okay, so that's a very interesting type of behavior, which is yeah. a, a form of financial asset speculation, which is an yeah. investor behavior. It's not actually watch collector behavior. It's, yeah, yeah. So it's not the actual, yeah, it's not the actual behavior. But then I realized on paper, it just seems that everyone's still spending. But now I finally can see that a lot of it is just people buying up stuff first. So Rolex, as I've said many times, in a sense, makes currency because a Rolex watch yeah. uh, is so valuable to so many people around the world. Do other watch brands right now have anything close to that where during the pandemic, financial speculators have started to invest in weird areas, including watches? Does anything other than Rolex get that treatment right now? Um, I think some of the vintage pieces, you know, people who follow auction prices really closely, they will still buy up the ones when, when it's cheap, like 5270s and so on right now. Mm. I feel like um, they've been following the prices for a while. So you can see that they still sell very easily. I'm trying to think of another. So um, you're so you're referring to Patek Philippe. So that's another brand name, sort of, but not not with all pieces, just with some. I'm actually thinking of thinking of something outside of the watches where people just pick it up when they can. I mean, aside from property and stuff, but I do see that um, there are people who have totally looked at watches now as mm -hmm. a form of investment mm -hmm. rather than um, just for collecting. I never used to believe it. I used to think, yeah, it's only the dealers that do that. But now I see a lot of collectors do that. I mean, it's, it's look, it's a lot of collectors are also investors. So you can be both. Yeah. But it's, it's investment style behavior. People are looking to put money into something safe or that mm -hmm. potentially will appreciate. It's got nothing to do with, I like that story. I want to wear that watch for a bunch of years. It's going to look nice on me. It's, can I make money with this or can I save money with this? Yeah, exactly. I can think of one. I can think of one. What's that? Um, Ariel, you were saying like, oh, Rolex is viewed as a currency. And then long, you're like, um, people would, there are some models that collectors are constantly looking at. And then let's say if one were to appear at an auction for a lower price, they would buy regardless yeah. if they want it or not. Um, I mm -hmm. think vintage like steel um, Movado chronographs, and mm -hmm. um, any like vintage 13ZNs um, or like Longine. Um, I know this because uh, some collectors from Japan, I've spoke with them about this uh, recently too. They're constantly on the hunt for these watches. So smaller steel vintage watches, usually between mm -hmm. 32 millimeters to 35 millimeters. <sighs> And um, they really believe that, I guess, them. from an investment perspective, um, that these, you know, UNs or these IWCs um, can really be a good, um, can really be good pieces when it comes to investment. But here's the thing. The funny thing is that's exactly the definition of what of like the most focused Japanese watch collectors have been known for, for the last 30 years. It's immaculate vintage sport watches and, and, and steel.
Yeah. So that's actually not new behavior. You're just saying that they're now even hungrier. Even hungrier. And I know um, American collectors who are following their footsteps, um, moving towards um, and willingly moving towards smaller diameters, um, immaculate condition steel, vintage chronos. But they're not wearing three them. seconds. Hmm? They're not wearing them. I mean, do you see a lot of guys wearing 32 millimeter chronographs around? Well, I've never really met anyone in person, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> ah, you, have so, you have so much to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so so Daniel, you're, you know, with the colleagues, especially in Shanghai, very, mm. very intertwined with the world of investment. And this is behavior that you've seen, of course, a lot. This is not new. Yeah. But have you seen any shifts in this sort of notion of watch collector also as investor, um, you know, in either Hong Kong or Shanghai? I can't say I have, to be honest, because Chinese have notoriously, they, they look at money very heavily, you know, very important. And nobody wants to look like a fool that lost a lot of money on a watch. But I, I don't think, I think we also have to say that it's not a bad thing to look at a watch like that. You know, like sometimes I think we get hooked on about, like get caught up on, um, oh, you know, we want pure collectors that they really don't care about the price and they just buy a watch because they just love it. And we were kind of poo-poo the kind of other collectors. Oh, you know, you, he looked at the price and then, you know, he thought that it might go up and then he bought it. The thing is, like, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure most people listening will think if a watch goes to a certain threshold in price and that price will be different compared to um, everybody, you're definitely going to look at the investment opportunity of that watch. Let's say it's like, 300,000 US dollars. Are you going to tell them it's basically a house for a lot of people? Mm-hmm. Are you going to not look at the invest the investment side? When you buy a house, do you just look at how beautiful it is and don't think about that? Uh, I doubt that. I, so okay, I think you have to look at that. And in terms of putting watches and you don't wear them, I mean, like if a watch like that gets a scratch on it, you've lost money. That's going to be painful. Mm-hmm. So I think it's actually okay to do that. And if it is okay to do that, what I'm saying is there was an, also an opportunity to do that. Opportunity was made by um, maybe some brands artificially. You know, it might be artificially by dealers, or it could be like a whole bunch of watch enthusiasts together. But there's an opportunity to do that. And if someone's going to take advantage of that or do that or collect in that manner, yeah, I think that's fine. All right, so look, I'm looking at it like a Venn diagram, right? And like one circle is like watch a collector and the other circle is investor. And mm. they can overlap. And then you can have these situations where someone can get excited about a watch, both because they like watches and also because they see investment potential. But I truly believe that the sort of investor mentality is deleterious to the experience of being a watch collector, okay? Nobody wants prices increased just because. Nobody wants the fact that um, you have a lot more people trying to buy a limited stock of stuff, right? Because now there's people buying it that aren't going to wear it. So in a lot of senses, like a nice watch-wearing experience has been ruined because now this cool old watch that wasn't anything special has has some type of new investment status. You know, like think of like some of these mm-hmm. just like old steel sport watches like they were nothing special like a 1970s rolex is not that big of a deal like it's basically the same as like a like a 300 seiko watch today i mean in in a lot of ways like it's you know what i mean it's not like it was some crazy precious thing a rolex today is a way way better watch not that it was bad back then the bottom line is that it's created this bubble of pricing 
It doesn't make any sense unless you are like an auctioneer. And that's the only people that seem to gain. The buyers don't gain because they're not buying something that's inherently that valuable. And the sellers don't really gain because they shouldn't have made that money, that much money to begin with. It's an unhealthy margin in a lot of instances. The only people that gain in the investment approach are the people that are benefiting from the transaction itself. And that seems to be like more like a con artist than really someone adding service. Whereas there's a lot more purity in the sense that liking watches for the sake of wearing them and enjoying them is something that you shouldn't artificially make it more expensive than it has to be because making a nice watch is already super expensive. Why make it even more expensive through all this sort of inflated ego and stuff like that? So you're right, being an investor, no problem. But if you are saying whose interests are more important, I'm going to be on the side of the watch collector because I think the investor mentality um, in a lot of senses has made watch collecting less pleasant as opposed to more pleasant over the last few years. I think the whole watch industry, I mean, it's a luxury industry, right? We don't need watches anymore. So, How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just stating it. You know, we don't need watches. There's plenty mm-hmm. of watches to go around. If you can't afford this watch, then just buy something else. If you yeah, can't get exactly. this watch, then go buy something else. And in a, I don't think it's fair just to say auctioneers. I mean, watch brands notoriously play that game of exclusivity of trying to ramp up the secondary mm-hmm. value to make their watches more desirable. So yeah, you can ignore those brands. Like you said, yeah, it's you can just a complete marketing <laughs> tactic that actually works. You know, we mm-hmm. by human nature, we always want the things that we can't have. Yeah. Until you find something which is just as good that you can have and they don't feel jealous anymore. And that's what's beautiful about the watch world is that there is going to be this other watch which is just as high quality, that's just as nice to look at, that has just as many human hours in the construction, that's a price you can afford. Like for most all budgets, you can get that if you're not, you know, for lack of a better term, a brand whore, right? If you don't care about mm-hmm. popularity and you're just looking for the inherent value of the materials, like if you don't care about the name of the brand, you can go out and get a solid gold watch on a bracelet for like $10,000 tomorrow. You can do it. It's not a mm-hmm. problem. It'll be ni- really nice to look at. It can be like a Chopard or something like that, you know, from like the 90s. It just nobody, like no one's thinking about right now. Like you don't have to spend crazy amounts of money on like a solid gold watch with a bracelet, but you certainly can. But if your interest is just a nice gold watch on a bracelet, you don't need to. And that's what's so great about the hobby right now. I absolutely agree. I think this whole term of the br- brand whore um, ideology it exists, and I would say um, many people fall under it, right? Like, if we're talking about, oh, people who are looking forward to their first Rolex, you know, a 13-year-old boy, you ask them what watch do they want or what watch do they one day want to buy for themselves. Most of the time, my bet is on Rolex because you see the uh, brand's name everywhere, right? Their marketing campaign is the best of the best. And you see rappers rap about it. You see on TV shows, you know, best of the best um, actors wear Rolexes. It's something to work towards too. And it's something that inherently might motivate these people. And um, if people who, I guess at the end of the day, it goes back to what you want to get out of a watch, right? If you just want a solid yellow gold watch, sure, you can go ahead and pay $10,000 and and buy it and wear it and love it. But for those people who want, who might think, hmm, 
if I'm already spending $10,000 on a watch on a not so well-known brand with same mechanical uh, finishing and case finishing, whatever, it's a lot of money. What do I want to do with it? Let's say if I were to just simply, I, I were to love it to death, then I don't really care, right? But if it's for their first watch, they're probably doing a lot of research. They're probably looking at all these brands. What might attract them? Maybe they're kind of, you know, shifting towards the social uh, media influences of bigger brands. And maybe they think in their mind, it's a safer place to start. And I think that is why you see a lot of models recently um, who that aren't worth a lot now worth a lot more than they were three to five years ago. Because truthfully, auction prices have gone just anywhere but up. And for those people, those purists in a way, they want to afford a Daytona. They can no longer afford it. What's the alternative? Well, steel vintage chronographs. And that way, you know, you have the same group of people who want the similar watch category that simply cannot afford um, auction prices or secondary gray markets. They have to look for alternatives. And that inherently has created this extra boost in this, you know, minority watch group that now you are seeing has becoming um, more and more popular. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think that you've really well articulated sort of a current state of affairs for a lot of watch collectors and the way certain things seem. And I agree that that is definitely an accurate portrayal of it, but I advocate for sometimes a slightly different way of looking at it. Um, You bring up the sort of interesting journey that watch lovers make as they're researching some of their first watches. And yes, you want the most for your money. And sometimes the most for your money is nice quality watch that's also a well-known brand. What I say is I advocate for a slightly different approach, and that is to dabble with designs in sort of in a more cheap way, right? Like, yes, you can afford Rolex, Patek money right now, but maybe wait off. Maybe because you don't really know what watches you like yet, buy mm. a couple of watches or a few hundred bucks, buy some Seikos and some swatches and whatever, and just some basic stuff to experiment with shape and color. Are you someone that likes straps? Are you like someone that likes bracelets? I know that it's it requires a little bit more patience and more time, but mm. don't go for the the best thing you can afford right now. Go for the most simple thing to understand so that you know what you like. And as you get more expensive watches, you do so with more confidence that it suits your tastes. It's the Mm. size you want. Um, I see this a lot because, you know, the hobby attracts people to a lot of disposable income. They're like, well, if Longa is the best, why don't I just get that right now? Because you have no idea what you even have or how to appreciate it if you haven't had like 40 more simple watches before it. So... I think that you can go more slowly and be more humble because then as you become more of a watch collector, when you wear that $50,000 watch, you really know why it's worth $50,000. You can talk a lot about it. It's not just, well, someone told me this was cool. What do you think about that? I see your point and I I absolutely agree. Um, If I were someone who aren't familiar with, with watches and I'm looking for my first watch, maybe like you said, it would be the best if I were to just go for um, a vintage Seiko or a um, UN or, you know, those uh, brands that not many people are are looking at as of right now. Um, and it's interesting that you were, you're saying that, and I was thinking about my watch journey, right? I, um, when I started, um, it's not about that, like, I, I can't, I think, 
it's up to the person. If you have a lot of disposable income and you don't care what you buy, you just buy a lot of stuff. Yeah, maybe it takes the fun away from how you can actually learn about a piece and appreciate its core intrinsic value. You might be blinded by the the brand, and I agree. I can see that happen. But for me, I think other people and a lot of people, um, if well, this is speaking from someone who do a lot of research before a purchase decision. So up to the point that I buy something, chances are, even though I haven't seen it before, I know a lot about it, right? And I'm looking forward to the time that I actually get it and hold it in my hand and appreciate it in person. Um, so I don't think that uh, only through owning 20 to 40 cheap watches can I learn the beauty of an expensive one. I think it all depends on how you approach um, your purchase decision from the first place and look at what you actually love. If you actually love it for what it is, regardless of price, you don't. it doesn't even have to cost that much. You will still appreciate a cheap watch because you love it. And I think the same applies to a relatively more expensive piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. Long Long, here's I a have, question for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in Singapore, I haven't been there yet. I need to go. But I know there's you know mm-hmm. an enormous amount of places to buy very, very expensive watches and you can go in the store and see this stuff. I understand that it's similar for less expensive watches. I mean, there's all these places to buy everything from a few hundred bucks to sort of like entry-level luxury where you can see yeah. and handle the product. That's correct, right? Um, I actually think the watch shopping here is super limited. Oh, really? You have like two, two big retailers. And this time around, I've been asking around where I can go to the resellers because I just want to mm-hmm. see what kind of stock they have. And it is very, very limited here. Super limited. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the big collectors huh. in Singapore, they don't even buy their watches here. That's interesting because I, 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 I was led to believe maybe it's in the past that there was a lot of watch retail. Uh, no, we have two big uh, authorized dealers here. And then if you're talking about watches between two, uh, like 1,000 US to 10,000, there are a lot of brands, but... um. There are like four, five stores. Huh. Okay, Only, I mean, Singapore's yeah. not that big. Yeah, but, um, well, this time around, I'm really trying to find, um, you know how some of these um, resellers, they're like private little stores or mm. like it's at home or whatever. Right. That's what I'm trying to look for this this trip around. But so far, I've only seen two. And the two stores that I've looked at, they are run by huge collectors themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, the, the, so yeah. the good stuff never trickles down to you. Exactly. Um, but going back to that point that you just said about whether you should buy a bunch of uh, cheaper watches to know what you like, me and Dan, um, we have a mutual friend who um, I think it's better if we don't name him. But he oh, has how um, scandalous. <laughs> is Dan even on? The, is Dan there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Dan, are we talking so about Ariel? No, yeah, we are. <laughs> what? Okay, Dan. So we're talking. I'm talking about the guy with interesting shoes. Anyway, so we had this um um oh, okay. semi <laughs> d- just. We'll tell you. We'll tell you when this call is done. So basically, this guy. Um, me and Dan were having this um, semi argument slash discussion with him. He goes through a lot of watches, and um, you can't really tell which direction he's going. Mm-hmm. 
And then he's saying that you have to buy the watch. You have to try on the watch, wear it for a bit before you can conclude it's not for you. Mm. Whereas me and Dana like, okay, we know what we want. So um, when you see the watch, immediately you know, like, do you feel something? <laughs> Just a different um, way of, and, of loving, yeah. right? Exactly. So I think if you're really disciplined and you can buy stuff and tell yourself the ones that I don't feel anything, I got to let it go. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, sure. You should let it go. Right. I mean, like you should collect this way, but if you don't have that kind of discipline to actually sell it, um, you should be more careful. And like mm-hmm. you said, you should just be patient, be super, take your time. I started mm-hmm. with cheap yeah. watches at a necessity because I, I started when I was in college and had no money. So I didn't really plan it that way, but I definitely mm-hmm. knew that there was all this amazing stuff I couldn't afford, but it didn't bother me to sample a lot because I was excited because I bought a lot of stuff on eBay. So for me, it was mm-hmm. more about like, I'm going to snipe that auction at the last second and get it for this price. And like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I played that game like way, way, way too much. But I was I was buying like, I don't know, at least one watch a week sometimes. Oh my God. I, I was crazy. But they were like, some of them like was yeah. like $100 or something like that, which again, was a lot of money to me at the time. But it wasn't like I'm buying $5,000 watches all the time, mm. right? It was, yeah. and I and at the time, you could go through such a great variety of stuff because the, the Japanese brands, they still had all the lookalikes, right? Like Citizen still had all, it's like, oh, that kind of looks like the Rolex, right? So you mm. could sample <laughs> dial colors and shapes. I mean, I wore so many like Rolex Submariner clones before I ever actually had a Submariner. <laughs> like I knew everything about it. I was like, this looks like I've had this experience already. Um, and that was really valuable to me because you have these like, I don't want to call them like copycats, but like you don't mm. have to spend Audemars Piguet Royal Oak money to get something on a wrist that mm. more or less looks like a Royal Oak. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah. You can wear but something you- for think- like three grand and be like, okay, I can see myself getting into the more expensive one. I I think that's a good I think I I definitely agree because if you if you look at it from a design perspective, right? Why is the Rolo so popular? Well, it's the integrated case with the bracelet, the polishing, the finishing and really the the case design, right? And I would absolutely agree with you Ariel. Um I would if let's say if I were a royal oak fanboy you know like i just want the royal oak i would uh look for a cheaper alternative and i don't have that much money to buy a royal oak um so let's say the bolova has i think that it has like a homage oil oak royal oak um that they have from like the 80s yeah but you know what many people might do they might just go into the 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 ebay or online buy a fake one Okay. And with the Audemars Piguet brand but does on that it. leave you feeling dirty? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but there's see, so many lookalikes. Like, but you see, oftentimes the really good replica might even be more expensive than the really good, actually authentic Bolova Rolog. But why do people go ahead and buy the replica? It's because of the brand mentality, right? It's something ingrained in um, the human psychology and while many people might not care for it, and I think that's perfectly fine if you know they're they're happier that way. But truth is, people, especially young people, and we're seeing the increase of this demographic in the watch industry now. They care about branding. That's why if you go follow the most, um, if you go look at the watch accounts on Instagram, who are the most followed? It's Rolex, it's Patek, it's AP. It's probably not Citizen mm-hmm. or Movado. And why is that? Look, it's something interesting to think about. Well, I think it's like personally, yeah, we're talking about branding. I think we're like not like it's great to enjoy this hobby and just look at the watches. But the watches, 
if they have any function right now, is in the social lifestyle. Yeah. So if you wear a watch and you want to give somebody a feeling like you've made it, which is basically what Rolex do, yeah. the whole thing is success. That's the watch to wear. If you want to be a baller, you wear Richard Mille. You know, if you want to be a bit of class, you, you wear probably Patek. So most people probably only have like one or two watches. And those two watches need to be able to work in social settings. Mm -hmm. Just like I would buy a Grand Seiko or a Seiko and wear it because I want to be a bit more discreet. Mm -hmm. Okay. So <laughs> when we think about like branding, <laughs> like it is actually relevant. Yeah. You know, you, so we can't just say, oh, you know what? You should just buy these cheap watches and uh, no, whatever. You're, you're well, right. Maybe I don't want to have like, maybe, I don't know, no offense, Ariel. Maybe I don't want to have like 500 pieces of uh, rubbish, yeah, hoarding in my <laughs> case that I'll look at them and Get think, yeah, that lasted me. <laughs> <laughs> la, 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 this lasted for this lasted for a week, and now I'm on to the next piece on on eBay. Okay, okay. So the, you're making a really important point. Look, <laughs> part of it is cultural. Okay, there are a lot of people that are just totally put off on the idea of wearing something that has a brand name on it, and there's other people that could yeah. not imagine wearing something that didn't have a brand name on it. This yeah. is, you, I mean, you look at certain people's clothing; they make a point that my clothing cannot say a thing. You know, there's these people, I don't want my shirt to say anything on it. Like I just want a solid color. Like these are people that for them, it's as important as for someone else to have a name brand mm. on a piece of clothing, on a bag, on a car. And so first we have to understand there's this distinction in society with names. But totally, at one point, it really comes down to, to sort of the message that you're making. For me, when I'm at a social event or when I hope to be at one again, when someone grabs my wrist and says, that's cool. What is it? That makes me so much happier than, oh, I noticed your Rolex, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. brands come with a statement, right? It's like sort of wearing like someone else's personality. Like Rolex, like you said, means success, right? It, but I like things that are more fashionable, that sort of go, that sort of enhance my personality or add sort of a flavor to my personality mm -hmm. because I'm there to sort of present myself. And again, it's just a call, it's a personality thing. Not everyone's like that. But a watch can bring a statement to the conversation or it can enhance you. And I, and I usually like to say, are you wearing the watch or is the watch wearing you? That's sort of another way I sort of look at it. So yeah. it, mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like wearing a watch as a statement. I just want to wear the Rolex and, and that's that. But watches can serve those two completely different purposes. Hard to do both at the same time. But that's another one of those weird nuances of collecting. Mm. Yeah, I think it's what kind of uh, group you're in because Rolex does nothing for me, you know, absolutely nothing for me personally, and in the people I hang around with, you know, because they just because won't even take a second look at it. Everyone agrees it's like, yeah, it's totally it's unremarkable. unremarkable because you cannot, you cannot, um, none of your personality mm -hmm. can come through a modern Rolex. If you wore like a vintage Rolex Buckley dial or something like mm -hmm. this or a 1016 Explorer or then yeah, actually, it's still a Rolex. But I mean, oh, hang on. Maybe I would like to talk to this guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm. And I think it's fun, right, Dan? Like when you, let's say you're wearing a Buckley dial, you know that it's called a Buckley dial. But let's say someone were to stop you on the street and, they're like, and they see you, that you're wearing a Rolex and for them to comment, hey, Dan, I like your, I like your Rolex. Mm. And mm. I think, it, I mean, if, so, if that were to happen to me, I would think it's kind of, um, I mean, I would be kind of... Um, uh, 
uh, happy to to see that hey, you identify with the brand, but there is there's something discreet about this. There's something extra that you know many people might not know, and it's fun for me because um, just to know that I actually know about um, this, and it's actually a learning process. Um, it's more than just a Rolex, even it's a Rolex, but um, there's something more special attached to it. So let me be let me be sort of the the REL in the conversation again here. That term that you used to describe that is not a Rolex term. That's a term that the enthusiast community came up with. So what you're actually wanting is that group inclusion, right? It's the idea of I'm associated with this group of people. I'm part of this club. It's actually less about watches and using watches as sort of an indicator of, of, of tribal belonging. Would you agree? Disagree? I think it's more about taste. Okay. Like the thing with Rolex, modern Rolex, is that everybody will know what it is. I don't need everybody to know what it is. I don't need everybody to accept me, right? Yeah. I, would, I want to wear this piece because I mm -hmm. actually really like it. And if, you know, like for modern Rolex, if any old guy comes up, yeah, I'm just really like, if they, if they were similar to me, then great. But for somebody to know what I was wearing, mm -hmm. they probably are similar to what I am. Mm. And yeah. then I think, oh, maybe I can be friends with this person. Maybe I can actually have a deep, meaningful conversation with this person. Mm. I don't really need, like a lot of these vintage watches, I think they wouldn't get a second look from most people. I mean, Langer doesn't always get a second look from people. Mm. Yeah. No, it, it makes it, sense. So it's yeah. being, so, so taste as a virtue of being part of a group of people who are known for having good taste. Mm. Well, have, even, even in yeah. a bunch of collect, sorry, Long Long, but yeah. I, like, well, I was going to say, even with a bunch of the collectors here, yeah, I can tell you that my taste will differ from many other people's collectors' tastes. Yeah. And I think I can actually respect that if, you know, they know what they're buying, you know, and they can tell me about the piece. And that's fine because you have your own taste. Mm. Everybody's different. And this is my taste. So it's not that I have to buy a piece that, um, you know, has to get validation yeah. from mm. the group. It really comes from within myself. Now, the yeah. last time you and I spoke, Daniel, on Superlative, we chatted about your trip to Watches of Wonders Shanghai, which was, I still think, the only watch show of, of 2020 anywhere, anywhere that was like a real show. Um, what has happened since in those markets? That was a really big investment by the, the Watches of Wonders brands into the market, and then they, they went down to another part of China. Has anything happened since then? Has it been relatively quiet? What do you see in terms of local spending and investment from the watch industry? Um, not a lot, really. Like, it's died, died down completely. <laughs> Nothing's really on the scene. Um, in terms of event scene, I, you know, I haven't really been to many events mm. recently. I can't even think of when the last one was. Maybe I'm just not getting invited anymore. <laughs> no, they're probably just not <laughs> happening. Yeah, so I'm not hearing about anything. Mm. So there's not really anything going on. It's just really, it's just, well, my one watch life now is just concerned about talking to Long Long and talking to Jacqueline about watches mm. every single week. <laughs> you know, that's it. And actually, I'm quite happy with that, you know, because it's a bit of a laugh and and we, you know, it's a good excuse just to meet up with your friends. Mm. Now, are there... Are there policy reasons why those events can happen? Or is it just that the industry doesn't want to do it, the collectors don't want to do it? What do you think has to change for watch events and marketing, at least in your part of the world, to come back? Well, I think um, 
like you said, if if the if the watch market is actually more inherently watch enthusiast based than people realized, then events probably need to be catered more to watch enthusiasts. The reason why I think that there's less events going around is because Watch and Wonders took out huge budget for a lot of watch brands in a critical time of the year, which is the 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 fourth, third, fourth quarter. Right. So they don't have any money left. And we have to understand that a lot of brands that we know of are part of conglomerates. And those conglomerates are listed companies that need to at least make the books look good globally, which means that even if domestic spending is strong in China, it's not like it can cover all the other regions by itself. And I think budgets have been cut. Well, I know budgets have been cut. Of course, everywhere. So those events have not um, not happened. But I think, you know, me and you have spoken about this at length many, many, many times, times about how <laughs> events should evolve and, and and should change. And And I think, you know, I'm not, I mean, Long Long has been to many, many events and, you know, she says the same thing to me. Obviously, she never says it at the event, but we always laugh about it afterwards. And, and we say, oh, that was so dry. <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> so you, like, you, you, you giggle to yourself as you leave, like, oh my God, that was awful. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, 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 we'll be giggling like, to each other, just saying, what, what are we going to eat that? later? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where we want to go. Like, they're not feeding me enough. <laughs> We're dressed up. We have a nice watch on. Now what do we do for fun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Look at they tried to sell me that that uh diamond encrusted watch. What fools. <laughs> you know, you know it, like that it, kind it, of like inside jokes, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's it, it feels great because they're there trying to cater to you. You're being pampered and you feel completely okay, kind of like making fun of them in the process. It's 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 silly and empowering and kind of fun and Ultimately, the brands, they do get enough business out of it, so they are winning. But it's it's something that, um, even as silly as it is, I miss that. I even miss that silliness. Well, that's because you like being pampered. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I remember that from your trip in Shanghai. Being pampered? You know, but I'm not going to disclose anything. But um, <laughs> what I, I, think, I, think, I think I go and speak for long, long on this, yeah. Like, I think we don't need to be pampered. I'd like to be respected mm-hmm. as a, just a normal customer. Mm-hmm. I don't need the mm-hmm. pampering, right? Mm-hmm. I just need the watches, right, shown to me. And I don't need to sit there for a couple of hours unless you're going to do something really interesting and I'm going to learn something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, totally agree. If you're a watch enthusiast, you want to learn something. Yeah, you want to either meet people to learn something. You want to experience something. You don't just want to sit there and have a meal. I mean, that's why me and Long Long talk about where we're going to go next for meal. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's never as good as what we want to eat, right? And do I really want to dress up all of it all the time? No. Sometimes I do want to be trashy and I just want to mm-hmm. eat a shake shack. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Cheesy fries and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no. Okay. I mean, I mean, look, there's a lot of out-of-touchness when it comes to the brands interacting with a lot, a lot of parts of the community. They have this very conservative, stuck notion of what an event needs to look like. They don't seem to change too much. I have pitch brands on alternative identi- event ideas for a long, long time. Sometimes it's saying like, let's get out and be active. It's a sports watch. Why is everybody wearing a suit jacket and sitting inside? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and they're just resistant. And a lot of it just comes down to a lack of wanting to take risks, a lack of wanting to spending. Um, I think they need to prove that if you have a sport watch and take, you know, a dozen people on a bike riding adventure and you put the watch on them and they see how cool it was 
after the several hours and they might want to buy it. Like that's a more impactful experience. Or you take a, a complicated watch out and someone shows you how to use it and explain some of the sort of more scientific and technical things. Like there's, they treat them too much like items of jewelry when a big part of the appreciation is them as tools and how they, you know, stories and things like that. So these are all things that we hope in 2021 will be part of their spending. And we hope that maybe that'll be one of the things they start to do first if they recognize, as, as we sort of pointed out in this conversation, that it's the enthusiasts they need to market to before the mainstream. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, um, watch brands, one of the marketing kind of things that they try and do is like the whole craftsmanship thing. You know, this is really hard to mm-hmm. do, you know, and it's very, you know, the failure rate is really high and all this kind of stuff. But it's always done in the presentation. Like, why don't you let me have a go? Right. Oh, my, <laughs> it is really hard to do. You know what I mean? Instead of just telling me, maybe I could have a deeper appreciation if I actually had a go at mm-hmm. it, <laughs> you know? And then instead of actually sitting at the sitting and pretending like I actually understand what you're actually trying to tell me, you know, I don't know if I fiddle with it, at least, oh, that's how that thing is supposed to work. That's why it's so difficult. You know, it's very, it's very different learning process when someone tells you something and when you actually experience it yourself. But you're at the point where you almost want to like dabble in watchmaking just to see what all the fuss is about. Like you represent, um, a logical step that many collectors can get to, but very few collectors do get to. Well, that's very kind, but I, I actually don't think I'm that much different. I'm a very passionate watch enthusiast, absolutely geeky like everybody else. And I just basically have been in it a little bit longer than maybe other people. And because of the passion I have, I've really thrown myself in meeting collectors, meeting brands, going to dealers quite shamelessly, I have to say. you know, And, <laughs> and I think... I've got way more benefit doing that than if I hadn't done that. And I would actually advise a lot of um, people listening to actually do the same thing. You know, if you want to learn and you want to, you've got to go out there and, and, and engage and everything you can learn in books, but it's so much more fun as a community. No, I, I agree. Yeah. But I'm saying that as, as someone who's met literally thousands of watch buyers and collectors, I understand that place that you're at. I've been there myself, mm. but I'm saying very few mm. people get there. I know a lot of people that have been collecting watches for like 30 years or something like that, 40 years, mm. and have extremely expensive, diverse collections and still can't get beyond, this is a popular name. This is a fancy guy. I remember when I went to dinner, dinner with this guy and he sold it to me. Like They don't really understand why a split-second chronograph is difficult to put together or what all the f- huff, huff and fuss about a tourbillon is. It's not that they can't. They just they never took their mind in that direction. You've, you've academically and intellectually approached it, which again, it's a smart person's hobby. So it's not like surprising that there's people like that there. But I'm just telling you, numerically, brands are not equipped to deal with collectors like you because you represent a minority right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm sorry, what, what, what was the selling point of the tourbillon? I didn't catch that. Oh, the selling point of the tourbillon? <laughs> it's supposed to do something in clocks, which it doesn't do in wristwatches. <laughs> I have to say that um, all of us meet people like because we're in this context right now where everyone's talking about watches Mm -hmm. and we're constantly talking about watches, right? When you meet someone that's non-watch related, that knows nothing about watches, um, I think you realize that, okay, for example, Ariel, you're talking about meeting people who are huge collectors who have been collecting for 40 years, whatever, right? 
um, because they have so many amazing pieces, you kind of see them in a different light. So mm-hmm. you already make these assumptions about them. But at the end of the day, they're just people with, um, they're just people, right? Some of them have a chip on the shoulder. Some of them are insecure. Mm-hmm. They're still people. And there's just men with toys, right? So I've now come to the point that um, when I meet a collector who to me is big, who has pieces that I'm like really wowed by, mm. I always think it says nothing about the person's character. Like uh, he could be a hot mess like himself. Mm. It's just oh, yeah. that he happens to be able to afford these pieces. Um, watches are no sign I, of sanity. I, yeah, exactly. And I actually think the more crazy the watches are, there's a high chance the person is even more, <laughs> even more, imbalanced. yeah, imbalanced and insecure. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> I couldn't agree with that anymore. Yeah. I think I think there is such a warped perception exactly. of what wealth is. Mm. You know, when when we get there, you know, you think it's like Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's totally not, right? And it, yeah, I think I find that whole thing funny. Wealth is a disruptor. It can destroy as much as it can build. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, like, it's the same with Instagram. The bigger the Instagram account, right? You imagine the guy to be some genius watch nerd or whatever, but yeah. there's a high chance he's probably really weird. And <laughs> this is where he thrives, like behind um, social media, right? Look, it's a, look, watches present a good front so that when you are mm-hmm. in a social context, you can talk about something because you're pretty much antisocial otherwise. And again, I'm not making exactly. judgments. I, exactly. I sometimes yeah. am the same way myself. But if you can't hack it at just having a normal small talk conversation, washes could be for you. Because you could find yeah. some esoteric thing to talk about for hours and never mention anything personal about who you are. Exactly, yeah. I'm just wondering while you guys are talking about this, how many weirdos have you met? <laughs> For me, not um, enough, because I love weird characters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not enough yet. <laughs> okay, so we're 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 about uh, we're about done with sort of our time. This has been really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, optimistic or pessimistic for twenty twenty one outlook on the watch hobby being more or less uh, satisfying? Do you think that it was great in twenty twenty and it'll 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 get it'll get better? Or do you think it'll get worse in 2021? Um, we'll start with Jacqueline. Um, do you mean the whole watch industry as a whole? or However you want to approach the question. I guess, because I don't know much about the industry. I haven't really met um, industry like executives or whatever. I'll just um, like for, laser for focus you, this. For your around. area, for your area, for your watch hobby, sure. your personal sure. journey. Sure. Um, I would say I'm pretty optimistic. Um, I certainly hope that I finally get opportunities to meet people in real life and and get to handle some pieces and and, and talk. And um, I'm even more uh, looking forward to seeing how my own taste and collection evolves um, because I know it's not going to be looking the same as it is right now um, at the end of 2021. Um, it's all about like self-discovery, um, that experience and that journey for me. Nothing's certain, right? So I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited to see, um, yeah, what I might find to be interesting and what attracts me more, what pieces I might fall in, um, out of love with, as well as obviously those I will fall in love with. Okay. Yeah. So that sounds, that sounds positive. Long, long, what about you? 
Um, I'm always an optimistic person. Mm -hmm. So I feel like um, I'm dying for the day that I can be super old and I can be one of those people that um, like someone else quotes and says, you know, she's been collecting Mm -hmm. for 40 years kind of thing. Um, So I'm not even close. Like I just started getting into vintage Cartier's, right? Um, So I'm finally like, okay, I can finally make that transition into going into vintage um, and then we mm-hmm. have our podcast going on. So there's a lot of exciting stuff for me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm super like optimistic. Wonderful. Daniel, you, and then also um, end everything by just reminding everyone uh, where they can hear your podcast and learn more about the Shanghai Watch Gang. Yeah, well, as soon as you asked that question, I thought, oh, you've asked that to the wrong people because all three of us are just super optimistic about everything. Like that's mm-hmm. our imbalance. And so... And uh, Jacqueline touched on a point which was self-discovery. That is very inherent in all three of us. So it's why we like are such great friends and why we launched the Waiting List podcast. Um, so I'm super optimistic. I don't know what I'm optimistic about, <laughs> but I just don't think being pessimistic helps anything. I, okay, I'll say it again. I'm very optimistic about the podcast. I think that we would really want to grow that. We've had some great feedback Mm -hmm. in terms of the watches and getting my pieces. I don't think it actually makes the difference. Um, I look forward. I mean, this year has been great because I've I've met some amazing people. And I think next year is not going to change that. I'm going to, again, meet some amazing people. Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn more about um, the, the watch industry. I think in terms of from a business side, watch companies, anything related mm-hmm. to watch industry, is this inherent interest of we really need to get into China now. And so yeah. that's very exciting for me as well. Wonderful. So I'm very pes- uh, optimistic. Wonderful. Yeah. And in terms of where we can find us, you can find um, Jacqueline on Instagram at A Dose of Time. You can find uh, Long Long at Long Long Tun um, on Instagram. And you can find me at Shanghai Watch Gang. We also have a waiting list, uh, the Waiting List podcast, which will be launching a website mm-hmm. soon. Um, but you can find us on Instagram for the time being at The Waiting List Podcast. A fantastic group and fantastic media. Thank you all for joining. And I'll just answer my my side of for 2020 outlooks. Yeah. Also optimistic. Um, I don't think that it's wrong to be pessimistic about the future because there's a lot of uncertainty and that's the sort of conservative approach. I am very optimistic for all the reasons that you each mentioned, but also because if... We emerge from the pandemic in the way that we anticipate, meaning that the vaccine allows people Mm. to return to normal life. We will also emerge to a world that needs a lot of work and there will be a lot of new industries, healthcare industry, new industries related to keeping things clean. Um, Travel needs to be redone. So many things are being redone. It's such an exciting time. And in that time, there will be growth and where there is growth, There's people buying and loving watches. So what I'm excited about in 2021 is the market getting new people into it again. Mm -hmm. Of course, I want Mm -hmm. all of my colleagues and and watch watch lover friends to enjoy great watches. But what excites me is new people coming into the hobby, brands creating new models, um, new areas of the industry sort of innovating by collaborating more and more and more. It's the sort of new blood and the new consumers that I think that a a world happily emerging from a really nasty pandemic is going to bring. I don't know exactly when it'll be and maybe we won't see the bulk of it until after 2021, but I feel that it's coming and I think that'll be good for all of us. So thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining me on this episode of the Superlative Podcast. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit blog2watch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? <laughs>